Hello. Good morning. Um, I'd like to welcome you all to the Arnolfini. Um, my name is Rob Bowman. I'm the director of the program. It's really nice to see so many people here. Um, I was just reading the other day, actually, an article that uh, one of my colleagues pointed me towards, um, a piece by uh, the artist Martha Rossler, who was saying, who was observing how institutionally, I think within the art world particularly, everybody is being very nice at the moment. And she said something about uh, the experience economy demanding uh, this degree of authenticity, but which translates itself into this kind of heightened faux emotion. And she wrote, like public relations happy talk, museums and galleries are always publicly thrilled, delighted, and excited. <laughs> you can see where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm all three, gen genuinely. Um, it has made me slightly self-conscious about saying that, but um, uh, it is, uh, this is an event that I've been looking forward to, actually, personally. Um, so I'm really happy to welcome Phila Barlow and Daphne Wright here for this conversational event. This is part of a public program that's been organized by the team here at Arnolfini in conjunction with the exhibition that you will see in our galleries outside, Emotional Archaeology, which runs until December the 31st. So if you have seen it and want to revisit, today is the perfect opportunity, of course, um, but there is time still. Uh, we've had over 30,000 people come to see it so far, so we've been really gratified by the response uh, to the exhibition. There is also a brilliant opportunity to buy our exhibition catalogue, which is at a reduced price uh, during the course of the exhibition, uh, available from our bookshop. Can I just mention a couple of other forthcoming events? Um, on uh, at 2.30 uh, this afternoon, uh, a writer-in-residence who has been um, invited uh, to be part of our programme as well through a collaboration with Daphne, Katrina Naomi, will be doing a reading of her poetry. It's free. You're welcome to come along. And on Monday, in collaboration with Come the Revolution and Edson Burton, we've organised a screening of a film called uh, Generation Revolution, which is the story of two black activist collectives in London and their efforts to effect and change uh, the political and social landscape. So, to introduce our conversationalists. Um, Daphne is an artist who uh, trained first in Dublin and later uh, in Newcastle. And uh, I think it's evident from her work, assuming that you have seen it or will see it, um, that she has uh, an exceptionally highly developed uh, technical but also interrogative practice based on this training. Uh, and also, as I've discovered through my conversations with her, an exceptionally wide frame of reference, and I don't just mean in terms of classical sculpture art history, but across literature, music, uh, and many other fields. Her work has been brought together in this exhibition by the curator Josephine Lanyon. Joe's here today, I know somewhere. Uh, and it's, I think, given the excuse for some rethinking and reassembly of work because um, Daphne's body of work is one that I think sometimes willfully has um, reveled in its own fragility. And um, that's made it quite difficult for uh, Daphne to have assembled a coherent body of work over the last. 25, 30 years, because some of it has disappeared or been lost. Maybe this will come up, I don't know, in the conversation. Anyway, it makes it, for me, a very pertinent exhibition of uh, her work and for all of those of us involved. 
Phila de Barlow is a sculptor and artist who has been tremendously influential um, on many other artists, recognized as someone who has repeatedly challenged our understanding of what sculpture is and can be. And I think her degree of influence is um, not just to do with her making and exhibiting of work, but through a four decade long um, position at the Slade School of Art where she's taught uh, generations of artists. Um, she now holds a position of Professor Emerita at the Slade. And she has exhibited more widely than I have time to reference here, but I would just say that um, you will probably have um, uh, clocked, you will have registered her exhibition at the Tate Devine Galleries uh, relatively recently, and she is now preparing for uh, exhibition at the Venice Biennale next year, where she will represent Great Britain. So we're going to have a 40-minute-ish 40 conversation, and then there will be time for questions afterwards. Um, if you can bear with us during the question part, because uh, we'll need to get the roving mic to you so that uh, we can all hear you. And um, just to mention also that the talk is being recorded, um, so it'll be an audio recording of this, um, which will be later available on our website as well. Finally, before I hand over, can I just encourage you, as I will do, to switch off your mobile phones or put them to silent, and can we welcome Daphne and Felida? Thank you very much, and congratulations, Daphne, on a stunning show. Really <laughs> wonderful to be here and to see it. Um, I thought I would plunge straight in without too much wandering around about the things that selfishly <laughs> intrigue me about your work and what I find so difficult in my own work. So I wanted to begin with these startling images that your work is very much rooted in. And I'm just curious about how you get to that point of knowing what the image is. Um, is it from the outset or does it emerge through the making or is, is there a clarity about that? Mm. <laughs> um, I think it comes um, through a process of really messy stuff. Um, but by the time I get to the image, um, I've disregarded an awful lot of other stuff. And um, it, it, I guess it starts off with a searching and a searching and then I would begin to make and uh, they wouldn't work and I begin again and they wouldn't work and then somehow I'd, the image would come and I would press the image into the material or the material presses into the image. I, I'm not quite sure how they come but I know by the time they get shown they look like they're clean <laughs> but there's a lot of ghost scaffolding behind it. Mm. And in that way, I think there's yours, the scaffolding is all visible, but there's still an image, and that mm. contradictorily. Is, are you aware of the kind of paradox of, of course, you're aware, sorry, it's really, <laughs> um, of the paradox of an image often being a very one angled view? It has its sort of glamour shot view. How do you relate oh, to that? Yes, I, this is the real... Um, that was something that I discovered maybe 
when I was making the tinfoil work yes. and, and those yeah. big installations. And I suppose going back to uh, the education, sculptural, <coughs> pure sculptural education mm. I did have, which was in Sligo, not Dublin. Mm. <laughs> Dub Dublin, they kind of knocked that out of me, but um, you were always... Um, we were all the learning process was you consider every angle top and bottom mm. inside outside mm. and that was the interrogation and the language of sculpture mm. and then i began to um, make installations which naturally has that about them but then i became aware of a whole other world of what happens to your work after you make it and how this gets sent around and how object how opportunities arise and that became the, photo, the world of the photograph and the mm. world of the magazine and the world of viewing. And that was a really hard thing for me. And then I realized um, if work was photogenic, that was a whole other dialogue that opened up another world. And then how do you deal with that photographic um, object, photogenic object? And so I, yes. I yeah, yeah, it's a it's a struggle and a consideration, mm -hmm. and also because of that photogenic angle, mm -hmm. things which I was really interested in, in, which was sound as subdiffusion, subversion, completely were obliterated out of the forward dialogue or the critical analysis of the work, mm -hmm. and. That has been very bad for me <laughs> because a lot of times the photogenic surface of the work is sentimental, romantic, aesthetically pleasing. All of those um, things I use as a process um, in the work or as a, as a technique within the work, referencing. And then I would subvert it with the sound. Mm. And because of the how, at the time, information got... Um, sent around it was the photo in the magazine mm. I think it's different now because mixed me internet and YouTube is going to be brilliant for people who work in submersive ways mm. whereas there was a point maybe the early 90s mm. that it was delivered through photograph yeah, yeah. Mm. and the early 90s I think is for me very interesting because I think it was the emergence in a big way of the pictorial object. Absolutely. I mean, the, yeah. the shark in the tank, yes. just to give a yes. very coded, uh, I think is emblematic, not just because of it heralding such a very particular relationship with the three-dimensional mm. object, mm. but also introducing, in a way, the pictorial object as a semiotic device, Definitely. which I don't feel about your work. I'm just very conscious in a way with say the stallion of there's one third of it that isn't visible now mm. is this you know which is the bit that makes contact with the floor mm. Mm. is there ever a a need for you to reveal that in some way i mean this is the impossibility of sculpture is there mm. ever a time when you want the the bit that mm. Yes, has to can. obey the laws of gravity yes. or whatever. Yeah, I, I, really interesting. I think the, there's two things. I think it was a process, a long process, where I suspended everything <laughs> to yes, try to... Yes, absolutely, yeah. that's what I'm... Um, I, I suspended a whole um, scene, theatrical scene, mm -hmm. and 
yeah, and that was all about the fine gra gravity and attacking the sculpture and mm. thing. But the interesting thing I think about the stallion and the gravity, I actually think what I began to consider was the actual weight of that yeah. gravity and mm. how that is a very physical thing that you experience rather than viewing. You actually hold the viewer to the floor mm. with the, with the um, object itself. Mm. So, mm. but then again, those things are kind of lies anyway because they're fabricated and some of them, they're partially hollow. Mm. So in underneath, mm. uh, it's pretend. A lot of sculpture is pretend. Absolutely, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. I think the, the pretense of sculpture to me is the big lure, you know. Mm. Not only the lure, but the lie. You know? Yeah, the lie. <laughs> and the bronze is, you know, which is the revered sculptural medium maybe tra traditionally and conventionally unfortunately yeah the fact that it is this print on a surface yeah. is that anomaly about it with this hollow, hollow black hollow space inside yeah so yeah the the idea of sculpture having this integrity um i don't think it it is an a medium that has great integrity. <laughs> no, and I think the really interesting piece that I've seen that you did was uh, the piece that you ran, ran alongside Sarah, and okay. it's this big piece that you've then tied fabric to, mm. and I found that such a subversive piece, and mm. I, I do wonder as well in your work the whole notion of protest, and I, I think there is real protest in a very... Uh, subtle way within the work and um, that piece alongside the Sarah, they, they work brilliantly together not that the Sarah is wrong or that, that no, they no. just work brilliantly and I think what I found really intriguing was the way that you use um, some of the things of wrapping and tying and process which mm -hmm. has been used as a as a negative mm -hmm. in, in lots of criticism um, you've tied all these smaller pieces to this big thing. Mm. And I find that really, that's very subversive alongside Sarah. <laughs> I don't know if you... I think, you I think the minute... Well, for me, the act of actually placing a physical thing in a space, which would be the space that we would occupy, is... And this thing has no function no real use in the world, mm, mm. is automatically a subversive and protesting mm. thing. I, I think it's very interesting that the word object is also to object. You know? yeah, the yeah. two things share the same uh, yeah. common word. Yeah. And I think a, an, an object that is, is a sculptural, for want of a better word, a sculptural thing, is always in a state of um, ambiguity about what its role is in a, in a space. And I find that, uh, I certainly mm. find that with your work and especially with the, um, the kitchen table work. Yeah. There's something so paradoxical that it makes me wonder, is there an element of kind of benign surgery and cruel surgery in your whole um, 
I, I, attitude to making, you know. I, I mean, I think Louise Bourgeois said it, that the violence is inherent yeah. to the acts of making, you know, there's cutting, there's sewing, there's... Yeah. Benign surgery, that's a really good word, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, I know the, the, the issue of cruelty has come up a lot, but um, benign surgery is really... I, I which, which to me that. implies mm. that there's an intense <laughs> desire to focus on something extremely particular. Yeah, definitely. And actually get it. There's a precision about that. Yeah. I I'm intrigued by that precision. You yeah, well, I think it, it ends up as precise, but it does, definitely doesn't start there. And, and um, sometimes I get really frustrated that it is precise in the end. That annoys me, and then I begin again, and I keep thinking, I'll, I'll get there eventually. I'll get to the point where, where, where it um, hasn't got that precision. <laughs> and even with the clay work where you start off with something incredibly messy, yeah. I end up, it absolutely ends up fine-tuned into a precision mm. to the point where it disintegrates. And maybe that's the, the, the point, it's that disintegration. Um, it, it's the contradiction in the language. Mm. In the language of the material making or which language? Are yeah, you? I, mm. I think I think a lot in real language, mm. verbal and really? written yeah. language, mm. um, and somehow the material speaks in a language, and mm. the tone of the material echoes the tone of the language that I'm using. I I, I, mm. um, I, I do think the material has its own sound. It yeah. has, it's like has an aura, but it has a sound as well. Mm. And I think a lot of the times I work with the sound that it occupies mm. rather than it itself. Mm. Yeah. Is, is materials, are materials, do they have inherent failure about them in some way? <clears throat> Does that make any sense it does, as, a, it as does. a question? I, yeah, Indeed. absolutely. I think what they have is they're limited by themselves mm. and y you, they, they can, it's like a, a word. You, the word, one word can mean several different things, but in the end, the construction of the, the, mm. the, the letters in that word is its confinement. And mm. I, that's how I look at material, mm. that it is, it's got its ability and then that's as far as it can go. Yes, you can do yes. everything to it. <coughs> and um, do you think that you um, are interested in that edge where the material is about to not be able to do anything? You talked about something disintegrating. Yeah. And I think that's... Yeah. Do you think that is also a subject as well as part of the making process? Do you, do you think that do. The, the capturing as an image, the two boys, is on the point of something changing or slipping away. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the process is about mm -hmm. capturing something before. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the next moment is on mm -hmm. after the, that moment is caught. It's, yeah, that's really it, interesting. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of Benini's sculpture, of course, you yeah, know, which yeah. seems to be incredibly pictorial. 
yeah. but very much about capturing the, the figurative moment of something, yeah. uh, the next moment on, the next shot, the next frame, it yeah. would be gone. gone. Yes. Yeah. It. It. I. I suppose I tried absolutely. I think that's a really good way of describing it. And it is. There's a real pain in that, or a poignancy I, in that I, moment. Yeah. Yeah. Really. <laughs> and I, I. think what it is is you. At mm. the, that instant, you're aware of what's past, and you're aware of what's lost mm. in the past, mm. and then you're aware of the future and what's lost because mm. it's traveling away from you, and it's just. Mm freezing that little, that absolute point, and then it's gone. Is, yeah. is casting away a bit like photography, a way of executing that capture? Mm, mm, mm. I, I, it, uh, yes, definitely, definitely. Mm. And uh, it reminds me of a, an experience that I've had, that I had talked about before, where I went into this really old house, and there, there had been all these stories about um, this old man who had um, just um, shriveled away inside the, this house. Mm. And um, I remember going in and there was nothing in the place, only there was a shelf. And I found a picture and it was a picture of a swan on a lake. Mm. And I, I picked it up because I was going to take it with me. And when I picked it up in my hands, it completely turned into powder. And it was just that instant, mm. and I suppose I, I was quite young, but that kind of yeah. loss of something that you've um, actually tried to grasp that disintegrates, mm. I think that consistently reoccurs. Yeah, yeah that's mm. an incredible um, mm. reference, mm. I think. Mm. Um, I, it brings me on to something that we touched on on the phone when we were preparing for this talk and we decided to end the conversation or else we were going to do the talk on the telephone so we 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 haven't um resolved our and we probably won't our initial discussion about remembering a memory and the slippage yeah. between those two things and what you're almost describing for me where the image of the swan just disintegrates is incredibly metaphorical in terms of what memory does, you know, yeah, are yeah. memories true or false? What is the act of remembering and recalling? Mm. And is, is again, the, the processes of making that you use, are they somehow connected with that in any way, do you think? Do you think you select processes like the wrapping, which I'm very familiar with, and the processes of casting, which are very much about, I think, capture and trapping, even though one might not know what one's trying to trap or capture, do you, do you think those processes have a sort of psychological resonance in a way with holding yeah. on to something? Yeah, I, I think they do. And I think sometimes you intuitively pick these things mm. and then Absolutely. Yeah, and mm. then by, I suppose, the wrapping with the tinfoil, because mm. um, we, we spoke a bit earlier about why, what was inside the, the tinfoil structures. And when I started out, it was very much about there being nothing inside <laughs> it. And I how, love that. How, I mean, I just know that. 
I'm so familiar with that yeah. ambition for yeah. a material to be Nothing. the sum total of the whole work. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Go on. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. Oh no. Absolutely. And mm. the 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 idea of tinfoil which is meant for wrapping and packing, and yeah. then you wrap and pack nothing inside it. Mm. And when work went, got transported somewhere, people thought that, that the piece was inside it and they didn't mind damaging the outside mm. bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I realized then they had to have some kind of internal, and I felt like I had cheated. Yes, it yeah. well again, it's the, the pretense yeah. that, that sculpture the seduces you into becoming a pretender. That's, yeah. it's, Absolutely. Trickery, you know. Tr um, trickery, mm -hmm. yes, definitely. And I, I know you've worked with tinfoil as well. Yes, and yes, I, I yes. think the whole thing about tinfoil as well is that it speaks falseness. Mm. It, that's its language. Yes. And so it's like the falseness of it in itself and the mm -hmm. falseness then of it pretending to be a sculpture mm -hmm. and uh, then the falseness of it in, in a... Uh, an unreal landscape. So all mm. of it becomes, it's like a whole interwoven language of falseness. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I think these things are intuitive. Yeah, and then and I think there is also this enormous pressure on durability, which is a, a huge problem, I think, for those of us who want to use materials in a very immediate, direct way. Um, and there are plenty of us around, yeah, but yeah. everything conspires against Absolutely. that, whether it's the culture of, you know, the museum or wherever it is, or even the, the process of selling work. Yeah. People don't want to buy things. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know Not that. Not even going to make the journey yeah. wherever it is, you yeah. know. And I think it's, there is a kind of, loss of danger there, which maybe goes back to the, the quote that was read out at the beginning, you know, that, that perhaps the conservatism that I think surrounds art at the moment is, is in some ways driven by commerce and the mm. art object as product, which I know mm. Mm. we all know about yeah. and find very difficult to relate to, actually, that it doesn't accommodate this e extraordinary desire for something that's ephemerally, ephemeral and authentically ephemeral. Yes, yes. And I think it is a, it is a problem, I know. Yeah, definitely, because I, 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 I think the whole, it, it, things have changed because when, as a student, there were so many people perform, doing performance and mm. happenings. Yes, that's that, an interesting Yeah. And yeah, at the busy. end of it, there, mm. at the end of it, they had nothing. Yeah. And also yeah. because of uh, uh, technology, a lot of the stuff wasn't even recorded. Well, absolutely. Yeah. The 70s, yeah. I see the loss of A whole generation of, uh, of artists. Yes. And yeah. the, only, the only record of that is us and our mm. memories of it. Mm. And, but that's really valuable. But there isn't... Where, what happens to that then in the critical space, which is what makes things last. And um, yeah, it's, it's a loss. It definitely mm. is a loss. Um, so permanence and impermanence, it, it, it is a big, it's a big issue. And I suppose making a living for artists yes, and the yeah, whole economy yeah. of, of yes. livelihood. And I think it's presenting itself 
in all sorts of ways that I think are very, well, they're not, they're now quite established as is, issues, the public-private debate. Mm. But I think museums are now struggling to retain, in a way, the high moral ground that they don't deal with dirty money. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think now they're having to, you know, they're having to court private money in order to keep going or to yeah. expand their collections, etc., etc. Yeah. So there's a there's a very sort of tricky moment, I think, now, yeah. and I think it will get even trickier. You well, know. well I, I think that's very interesting because I wonder, I wonder if we've come to a kind of a hiatus, and I know we talk about popular politics, which is mm. like a, a very problematic thing at the moment, but it's also, you know, there's another side to that, and it, I do think that media for young people is going to revolutionize how things will happen and how mm. things are critiqued mm. and the dominant voice about who's critiquing that. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's to be embraced and it's going to be a really good thing because it means um, there is another arena that well, won't be. It, we hope we there'll be. We desperately need another yeah. and Because I, I know we've talked about the counterculture. And yes. I think the great thing about that is people can live outside, artists can live outside of the centre, capital centres. Absolutely. I mean, is, is mm. the, are the visual arts the one creative activity where you don't need an audience? I mean, if you if you want to reduce something to the bottom line. Mm. Um, it seems to me that something has spiraled into a means of being judgmental about success and failure, and that the exhibition is seen as the criteria by which an artist is shows that they're alive and that they're working, whereas the fact is that most art that's produced isn't actually seen. Absolutely. <laughs> so what is it about that? What, it is, what is it about the writer who writes a novel and it's never published, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Are these things damned forever? Oh, and it, I think not. No, I think, I think not. The thing I, that is yeah. visible, I think, is standing on the shoulders of everything that is invisible. Invisible, definitely. Yeah. And, and yeah. the brilliant thing about it is, um, well, take the Goldsmiths Prize for writing. That's an amazing one because it rewards innovation rather mm. than uh, um, innovation that wouldn't be published by the big publishing mm. houses. Mm. And I think the same thing is going to happen within the art world. And I just look at, um, say, my kids who are on YouTube and there are YouTube stars on there who were working with Pokemons <laughs> and things, yes. who make yes. a fortune and who actually have this amazing mm. career mm. below mm. the parapet that nobody knows about. Mm. But they yeah. are—they have an amazing career outside the structures. Yes, yes. and so I, I think, think there's a whole. There is, and I think it's yes, just yeah, yeah, it's just beginning. But mm. um, I'm—we've got to this point yeah. of discussing <laughs> this broader thing, yeah. really because of fragile materials. Yes, and I think that's fascinating that it leads straight into what is viable yeah. in terms of surviving as an artist. Yeah. And as you say, artists 
have to survive and therefore, you know, biting the, heat, the hand that feeds one is not necessarily a good thing. No, you know? no. We need to find ways and I think just in terms of making sculpture, that struggle to find a way where a material can exist because of what it is yes. without support. I mean, for yeah. me, that is a huge issue yeah. ongoingly. Well, well I, I actually think sculpture is almost the hardest of all, if, if, if you're thinking mm. pure sculpture, it's the hardest of all to maintain a career in. Can I, can I ask you how you would define pure sculpture? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Does ironically, it exist at well, all? ironically, I think you make pure sculpture. I, I know I, it's ironic, but mm. yeah, mm. but that's for me a good thing. And that's mm. why I think what you're doing is um, re revolutionary because it is pure sculpture. Mm. Um, all the, the learning of about sculpture that I've learned, I, I feel is in your work. Mm. And, but it's completely reinvented it. And when, when I saw your work first, the, the smaller pieces, mm. they were always very problematic. And I would go in and I'd, they really, they didn't go because they were annoying and itchy. And, uh, and, and yeah, and they were only small works mm. that you were making at a time that you couldn't make in, yes. in, in yes. the way that you do now. Mm. And, and I kept going, well, why are they so problematic? And some of it was that we're not photogenic mm. and the weird and consumable. And, um, um, but now you see, I think you're making on, on a big scale and in a really, you know, it's, it's quite ama extraordinary. Mm. And it, um, it's totally within the language of sculpture, but it's reinvented it. And I think that's why they're so important. Do you think for yourself, there are qualities. I mean, what I, I think, I've always been so compelled by your work is this fusion of image and the extraordinariness of the material. So the image is jolted. It's, it becomes restless despite its precision because there's a sort of patrolling the work you can never quite catch it. So in a way, it's quite anarchic about being an object. Mm. It seems to want to reside in the, in the land of images mm. and mm. in a way, pictorial images, mm. but mm. here it, it is in space, um, occupying the same space as me. And it's demanding all the things that objects demand that I walk around it and look look closely at it and scrutinize it. I wonder what, I'm still curious about whether there is all sorts of other qualities coming into play for you, drama, mm. theater, mm. and also a sense of what is the surface for you. Is, is smoothness, is the smoothness a kind of getting rid of there's a brilliant essay by Stuart Morgan on Louise Bourgeois' nature study, which is the, the strange animal without a head mm -hmm. that has the multiple legs mm, and one, multiple yeah. breasts. Yeah. And he talks about the hairless animal as being 
terrifying because it, it's just skin rather than the hair is absent. The, scare, the hair has been got rid of and this uncanny smooth surface mm. has an unnaturalness about it. Do you, do you think that's what you're seeking, say, with these, with the very smooth surface of some of these that's works? Weird. Thinking. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer. Yeah, no, Those I'm are the thinking, things that yeah. I'm, I, I find mm. I'm bewitched by with, with, and always have been with your work, ever since I first saw it. Mm. I think as the application for the Rome oh, scholarship, yeah. Well, yeah. the prodigal son yeah. piece. Yeah. yeah, I think the thing about surfaces, I suppose I... Um, maybe I'm not so conscious of the material as the thoughts, the, right. the, and maybe mm. that's the theatrical, the, <laughs> and the theatre and drama is always interested in that um, what you see on the surface of society is a certain polish or a certain mm. decorum and behaviour, mm. and then if you begin to pick away and look the, de the deeper you go, the more difficult mm. and the more problematic it's that uncovering mm. under that surface that um, then makes the surface movable and uncomfortable. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, smoothness is actually totally the wrong word because the sculptures aren't all smooth. No, you know, but I, I know what you um, mean. Yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to know how to actually describe that sense of surface in your work and what it is. Mm. Um, do you know what it is? <laughs> well, I think in, in maybe some of the older pieces, plastic... Can I just, yeah. just put another thing there as well? Is it, is it perfect? Is it about a desire, desire for some kind of perfection? Hmm. Well, and uh, now I think I'm beginning to remember what I was doing. Um, I know when I made some of the, the pieces where I looked at the idea of romance and sentiment, mm. and I was very aware of notion of beauty and this seduction oh, of right. beauty and yes. the surface yeah. that you're talking about. Mm. And then by just turning it slightly, where, where you have something that is on the edge of ugliness and beauty it's mm. a very thin line or mm -hmm. what we expect or what we what we um, naturally think of as beautiful is mm. very on the edge mm. and what I w used to do was just tighten it a bit more so it just was on the border of that ugliness mm. and the mm. border of beauty and that's a terribly uncomfortable place to be yes and yeah. I, I was just talking we just mentioned earlier about say somebody like Yeats's poetry in mm. his when he was in his 60s he began to write the best poetry he ever wrote because he um he, he began to attack the language and attack the structure of language and mm. looking at say Shakespearean sonnets oh, yeah. and using yeah. the structure of the sonnet which everybody is almost can taste mm. and expect how it it falls and then he placed that into the Leda and the Swan. So you had a something terrible, you know, history, rape, and um, mankind, and the the rape of mankind by by history, which was mm. the Swan. And I found that really interesting. Someone who's at the 
top of their ability to mm. manhandle language mm. then comes along and attacks it and takes mm. it apart and but keeps it within the form we expect and those are the kind of uh, yes, I don't know how yes. where I am when I'm making the work but mm. that would be the weight of mm. of um, inquiry I would come at it with it's a sort of disruption of expectation yeah, in a way but very slightly mm. so it's never exaggerated if it's mm. it's that almost unobserved thing that makes it problem problematic mm. and yeah it's a different form of itch. I mean do you maybe this is quite an offensive thing I mean when you look at Jeff Koons's work and there is that extraordinary surface quality about it or um, Katerina Fritsch as well is is there something that you can connect to in that way or not at, at all because I was thinking of reflection in terms of your work and especially um, looking at the video sorry I'm really bad at titles the one of upstairs upstairs yes um, this idea of almost feeling that she was reflecting me in some way you know it, it had a sense of that I was being drawn into her in the way that a reflective surface both repels and captures <coughs> you in it like a mirror. And mm. it's a very strange thing, I think, about highly finished yeah. works, whether it's a Brancusi yeah. or a Jeff Koons or, yeah. again, a Louise Bourgeois. Well, I think that's kind of... Yeah, I, 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 there's a couple of things there. I think the thing about... Okay, say we, we went and took the tinfoil cactuses. Mm. They look finished and everything, but they're really knocked about and mm. tinfoil and glue. Yes. So their falseness and the pretending of the surfaces mm. within those. And I think the thing with the film, and I think you find that with the domestic shrubbery, actually, mm. if you look around the back, they're really, because I, yeah, yes, they're yes, quite yeah. Um, slobbery. Mm. <laughs> but, um, and I think too, that is something I've been really interested in because when I was dealing with the, the tinfoil and then with the film upstairs of mm. I Know What It's Like, I was dealing with things like Alzheimer's mm. and autism. Mm. And I think of tinfoil as a language of autism. Mm. And wow. Yeah. yeah and that cool. is very much, uh, mm. there's a, that's such a complex thing. Mm. And, the, and Alzheimer's, again, it's like, um, the portrait and the face is still mm. and perfect as mm. a face and perfect as a, an older woman, mm. but then the the brain and the mind at points connects Absolutely. with yes. with yeah. with and that's what draws mm. you in because yeah. it speaks directly to you. Mm. But then it kind of disintegrates or um, becomes material. Mm. The language and the same with the tinfoil. I think it gives you a cold, perfect desert mm. but it's emotionally you're brought in but you're emotionally kept out mm. and that mm. because of the combination of things that I was dealing with the issues the, the emotion the condition mm. all of those are grappled up in the material mm. and the language mm. do but, you mm. 
the term emotional archaeology is, is, is intriguing. Are there particular emotions attached to each work? Are those private or is there a, obviously they're private, but is that for, are you trying to make that absolutely precisely communicated? I hate that word in relationship to art, actually. Communication, it just makes me want to say, why should we communicate? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. But is there something, is each work, does it have a specific emotion? Or is it more that it's a search through these, through the content to find an emotion? And that we, as the viewers, are taken on that journey. Um, yeah, to a great to, on a journey. Some I think it's like if you have all these uh, words again, yeah. and you pull one, the others are you pull one out. The others are all attached to it. Mm. Yes, yes. Uh, but the might yeah. the only might be just the words. It's not in a sentence. Mm. And I think that's kind of what happens with the work. I do definitely move through bodies of um, interest where I would read and read and read and then research and research mm. and make lots of work and destroy lots of work and then just mm. keep a few that get shown. Mm. And there would be an interrogation of that area. Mm. And then I, once I'm finished, I move on. Mm. And I suppose I would be drawing all the time from science, politics, and writing. And I, to a lesser extent, art. I would mm. look much more at all of these other areas because I think that artists are anthropologists, scientists. Mm. Mm. We're everything. If mm. you're aware, you're looking at everything. Mm. And they come together sometimes in a piece that works and they come together in other pieces and they don't. Mm. Yeah. And, but um, mm. there's a wonderful word that comes up in one of the essays, which is latency. Mm. So, which seems to me to embrace a lot of what the work, for me, does, which is this sort of pause, this moment of waiting. and. I think that is another quality where sculpture is perhaps the oddest medium to <laughs> try and achieve that in, and you certainly do, where you, you don't know what happened before and you don't know what happened after. Yeah. One of the things that fascinates me about maybe all art is its syntax. What tense is it operating in? Is it now or past or the future mm. and maybe I feel with certainly with the table upstairs it's the syntax is actually about the future mm. there's a sort of you're on the edge with it waiting for something to happen and your my own imagination has to fill that in you, you know was that is this an incredibly poignant, sad moment, or is it just something about turning two children almost into a still life? You know, almost the moment is 
in a way, a dead moment, which is quite terrifying when it comes to, in, in terms of one's own family. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I think it, 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 it is how close the two things are, life and death, when yeah. you're, yeah. when you, well, well for en everybody anyway, but um, I'm stumbling over my words because I think children do that to one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. You're looking at. Yeah. A hugely protective feeling, a terrified feeling, but also a, a huge desire to give confidence and all the rest of it. Mm. And uh, the paradox is, mm. oh, absolutely, it never goes away. Yeah. You know, pa it's a painful paradox. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and that that work sums it oh, up for me. You know, I, yeah, I love the way all sorts of yeah. things. You know, I think just. Table is such a stage for family dynamics in some ways. Totally. I think people live out their lives on their tables yes, and around their tables. And storming off in yeah, yeah. blind rages and <laughs> hurling abuse at yeah. <laughs> each other. Melting so I suppose the I couldn't help bringing yeah. that to this utterly still, superb moment. And again, the surface to me is very, very important in creating something almost waxwork, unnatural in that. I would say, oh, it, for me, in the best sense, don't, it, it's slightly repellent, you know, mm. and so that's mm. interesting. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> we, we have a signal already. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. We've only got sort of one third of the oh, way through. I know, I know. But I, I think the really important, uh, really interesting thing there is tense and, te you know, the tense, past mm. or present tense, mm. in terms of a sculpture, that's a really interesting thing, because that's... Mm. It obsesses me because it links in with this whole thing of suddenly having to face up to the fact that, that an object is going to be 15 metres high, and no, you can't just make it out of... <laughs> Brown and, paper. And, and it has to be dismantled <laughs> and folded up and put away. So what tense is it? Yeah, yes, it's very, yes. it's like, it's, it's actually. So then the falseness, you yeah, know, this and I, I think the pretense, yeah. tense, wonderful play of words. Yeah, it's brilliant. The pretense kicks in, yeah. you know, you start having to think of. Uh, yeah, and also if you think about the, uh, your works, which um, theatrical and the theatre, because mm. that's very much it within them, mm. and the tense with that, with that, yes. it's the waiting yeah. stage. But mm. I, I think yours are not just the waiting stage; they actually are the performance on the stage. I, I think yes, and I hope that the audience then becomes protagonists. <coughs> yeah, they're very immersive that. and generous, and mm -hmm. I can see why shiny sur surfaces would be very different to how, because yours are yeah. very. Well, they, I mean, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. we have to go yeah. on, but I, I, I think shiny surfaces alarm me. Yeah. I don't think your work well, is shiny Jeff surfaces. Jeff Kunz does alarm me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I hope it's an uncomfortable yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I'd like to ask about the um, the rather rough 
um, figures in the same room as the kitchen uh, picture, uh, sculpture. Do you feel that they relate to one another or is that something this, the curator has done? Or can you tell us something more about these, these very rudimentary head and shoulder figures? Yeah, um, and they, they very much relate to the table and the films, uh, the, the, the monitors with the, the um, films on them. Um, um, I was really interested in the whole language, the lexicon that was in our house at the time um, when the children were a particular age and everything was um, cartoons and um, self-portraits or this terrible attempt by children to try to, to draw themselves or draw a human. And there was also at the time the tea towels from the school where all the children would draw their heads and put them on the tea towel and they were sold to make money for the school at Christmas time. And I found those tea towels. When we got our tea towel, I, I was horrified at how <laughs> revealing the heads on the tea towel was. And I just thought, how can parents allow this? this? Because when you looked at the little head and then you looked at the child, knowing the child who drew it, it was like an open diary. And it terrified me that they had revealed so much about themselves. And it was put on a tea towel, and it was worse than any internet uh, <laughs> thing. So I, I, I then began to imitate the child's drawings until I made a class, a small class of children. And um, I, I, I felt that what I was trying to do was reveal this innocent and vul vulnerability and um, the, the clay just in disintegrates. It's not um, fired or anything. And somehow making these little heads out of dust, returning down to dust, just that poignancy of the material and the inquiry together. And, and that's about as sure as I can be about what I was doing. But it was like, again, a moment that the table occupied and the fair that Phila mm -hmm. talks about for protection and uh, annoyance and all of those things that go with um, that age <laughs> of, of growing children. Did, I'm just curious, did they perplex you in terms of their relationship with the other work? No, I don't think so. In fact, it was only at this talk I thought of the relationship. I saw mm. them as, as rather separate things, I mm. think. You know, um, and um, what, I, what they made me think of was cycladic uh, yes. yes, that's yes. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Um, suddenly it came to me when you were talking that I wonder if there's a relationship. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, they, uh, definitely. And I looked at those cycladic uh, sculptures. I thought they were... And the other thing I really noticed that children go through this strange um, transition from two-dimensional to three-dimensional, mm. where they're very happy with these amazing two-dimensional things, and then they go into this stage of drawing three-dimensional. And I find that transition really, really fascinating. I just mm. can't get hold of it, though. And what I also wanted to do was contradict the smooth mm. and the classic table with this... Um, dirty, wet stuff mm. that was just soil and, and contradict the two languages, a cartoon against this other language. Mm. Thank you. Uh, 
Following on from Philida's point about audience participation, do you feel that performativity plays an important part in your work? Um, pardon? Following on from Philida's point uh, she made about audience participation, do you feel that performativity plays an important part in your work? Um, sorry, the formability. I just missed Perform Perform Performability. Performativity. Mm, mm, yes, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, I think that uh, some of the work functions like a stage set and with the big cacti piece and also with domestic shrubbery, the audience is part of that performance. The, the person in watching or listening is surrounded and being addressed by the, by the, the voice of the cuckooing. Yeah, uh, audience is a... Yeah, you can't help but being aware, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think the, with the film, the film speaks to the, directly to the audience and kind of challenges the audience. And it comes, the film comes from Lady Macbeth and the Medea, uh, which are some very tough, some very tough um, issues that they mm -hmm. deal with, yeah. So audience is vital, I guess. <laughs> Thanks. Um, the video upstairs is really powerful, and um, you're collaborating with an actress on that. Do you want to say anything about what that's like to, to work with someone else to interpret or? work together in that way. Mm, yes, um, well, Pamela is here. <laughs> I, I think it's a, I, I, after, when I had children, I was forced to collaborate and forced to work with, with spread out, otherwise I wouldn't be able to make any work. And I, I, cause up until that, my work was very solo and produced by myself. And it was really, really important that the material went through my hands and that I modeled up everything. Mm. <laughs> and then, um, so it was a big learning curve. And um, it's a, been amazing. You, um, it is amazing. It's a difficult process. And it's a jealous process. And it's, it has to be based on trust. And um, yeah, it's, it, but it is amazing. Um, and it's a very generous process. Mm. But it is, it is amazing. But it's not an easy process. Would you agree, Pamela? <laughs> you may be able to hear me without a mic. <laughs> yes, it's a fascinating process. And I learned a lot. Yeah, it's. It, I, I think the the because I've worked with uh, embroiders and casters, and they they bring you know you you basically sometimes I often feel like I'm robbing, I'm robbing their ability. But then I think if you go back to, you know maybe the education that I had in Sligo, which was about communal and it was also about. Um, um, appreciating other people's ability and being proud of other people's ability as opposed to this terrible thing about the artist as this wonderful mythical person who who seems to produce these things in a vacuum and they don't they're 
they're they're working with lots of other artists they're um, absorbing mm. from other artists and there's a whole host of makers that help and I don't know why we keep um, picking out one or two figures and going these are the the mouth of our generation this is the the mm. prenuptial person because yes. that just is so untrue and i think we have to you mean in in a again in in a, in a moral sense that morally and politically morally I think you should be making all the work yourself well, <laughs> well no i think that morally we should be saying these artists are not geniuses they don't exist on their own they, oh, right. they, yes, because see. if you go back mm. through history, you you oh, look yeah. and there's mm. and this is how we're taught history of art that there's one significant genius mm. and mm. Um, everybody else from that era disappears. And mm. I think, you know, we've we we have a responsibility to show the artists that were behind all of that. It's not just mm. one artist; it's a group of artists. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So collaboration, I think, is, yeah. I and think I, that's where mm. there is an anthropology, you know, that yeah. this art history picks out so-called key figures, yeah. but actually that's not how it is for real, you know. No. There's a whole anthropology of artists who are, like, now, yeah. um, who are all contributing to each other, as well as all the people who have the skills to do extraordinary yeah, things, definitely. collaborating with the so-called artists. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. I just wanted to acknowledge what an amazing point in time we're at, where we have two truly great artists sitting and talking to us, which has been fascinating. <laughs> And you're both mothers, and I just doubt whether either of you would deny the importance of your domestic side. And, I mean, I was at college in the 70s, and I remember being told that the domestic realm was death to art. <laughs> and that, you know, you'd look around and you'd see these people on their way up into the Listen Gallery wearing long leather coats and being definitely male. And it just seems an incredible moment that mm, yeah. it's as important a moment to men as to women that men are now able to sit and listen to two mothers talking about the truly most important things in life. I just think it's, it's a fantastic oh. moment and I'm just really grateful to you because I'm still making great art from my spare bedroom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I was interested to hear both of you talk about the role of photography in disseminating your work. Um, I was wondering, both of you, do you have an ideal of how your work, your 3D work, should be seen? Um, with reference to that, I was thinking about the domestic shrubbery as it's displayed here. It's essentially, we've seen a photograph of it during your talk, and it's... Uh, title is domestic shrubbery but it's using office lighting i just wondered what daphne if daphne agrees with that uh, method of display and whether it reveals her sculpture in the way she intended 
Yeah, a couple of good questions here. Um, the lighting. Um, uh, that we, we did struggle about the lighting, yes, but when, when it first got shown, it was always with strip, these unforgiving strip white lights because it refers to a very particular era when people had that kind of wall, wallpaper in their kitchens and in their bedrooms and it was very decorative and usually it was with those unforgiving uh, long tube lighting that there were like new lighting that was put into those houses people would go off and get those tubes because they were going oh it's great to have this light instead of just a bulb and so it does refer to a particular time which kind of is forgotten because then wallpaper became really unpopular and it was all plain walls and painted. And now wallpaper is coming back, but it's coming back as a very conscious thing where one wall might be painted, papered, and the rest um, papered. And lighting, lighting, it's very interesting. Lighting has a zeitgeist, the same as plants. In uh, Domestic plants also go through zeitgeist as well. It's a bit like the prawn. Cocktails from the 70s, and and so the lighting. It seemed important that a harsh lighting was was put back there again. Mm. And I don't know, Philip, about the no, photography I, with your work, which is oh, big. It's a, just a nightmare. Yeah, yeah but yeah. I. I, uh, <laughs> um, I would. I think there's a great thing to be said for no lighting at all. But um, of course, that's not allowed. <laughs> but I think the, the sensation of seeing sculpture when it's ambient light, natural ambient yeah. light. And yeah. also, um, I know it's something I've discussed with um, Alison Wilding, Harriet, wherever you are, yes. Um, that, you know, we both have this, this thing about how you would perceive sculpture in the dark. You know, that maybe. That sounds, it is a tautology, but it's, it's something about sensing the object mm. as much as being able to visibly sense it. There's mm. something about the physical presence of things. It's like when, when like, you know, there's a fuse or a power cut. You become very aware in all sorts of very different ways about an incredibly familiar mm environment it suddenly becomes dangerous and alarmed mm. and I think that for me there is something about being able to have the opportunity to sense sculpture in Philida, an unlit did, space. Did Alison tell you about my show that you didn't get to? Yeah. That it was in a dark unlit space. Oh really? Oh. <laughs> and I'd employed a lighting designer to come in and light it thinking mm. They're from, the list, they're from the Whitechapel, they'll know about lighting sculpture. Mm. Turned out they were a fashion lighter. And I came to my show to find tiny spotlights mm. on these big they forms are, yeah. in absolute darkness. Mm. So people had to do exactly that. Mm. And it's interesting how it completely changes yes. your experience of what you're seeing. And there's so much. But I was thinking that about your show when just seeing the picture of the stallion. And we're not talking about the colour of the wall behind it. Mm. And it's, it's all so much a part of, of sculpture, mm. which is, as you're saying, when it, and it's hard to take it all in. But I think it's, it's for me, how, how the artifice continues 
sculpture is enough after art and, and then it con continues with the staging of yeah. the objects yeah. and uh, getting that to in a way reciprocate what the object is is incredibly difficult I think very few spaces are yeah. actually able to do that and I don't think that's just being highly temperamental I think again it's just the recalcitrance of sculpture you know it it's making a different kind of demand it's somewhere between theater and everyday life and it, it sort of shifts <laughs> restlessly between that you talk about trying to push the material to the edge um, do you feel there's something quite selfish in the act of trying to do that. Yeah. Sorry, I, say, I couldn't. Uh, uh, is, there, is there a selfishness in, in the, the contact with the material and the, the way that you try to push it um, to, to figure out how far it goes? Uh, selfishness about pushing material to its, its end I and how far it will go. Well, I'd, I'd like to to know from you how you see that as selfish, just... Uh, I think there's something quite very enjoyable about trying to figure out the limits mm. of yes. both yourself and, and something that you're working with. So just, I feel that it's something that you, you just want to do because yes, you can. What, yeah, because yeah. you can, exactly, and, yeah. and you don't have mm. to question why or, like you said, you know, what this, communication, why mm. does something have to communicate? It's for the sake of doing it. Yeah, mm. yeah. and, and it, it's mm. also a, a luxury, it's a luxury to be yes. able to do that. Yeah, and exactly. uh, those opportunities of that luxury time get less. Mm. <laughs> so, mm. Yeah. I think there need, needs to be, or oh, I find, that kind of focus where you, the urge to do it is so strong that the, the rationale for why one's doing it or who it's for just aren't there in that time. And if it becomes attached to something like being selfish, does that introduce a kind of very negative influence that should otherwise be a very positive aspect of being a human being where you can do something that doesn't immediately have an outcome or a place in the world that's officially approved, that there's a built-in state of anarchy about just that moment of urgency to do the, the work. So in a way, I don't think it is selfish. I think it's, it's actually speaking for, I would hope for, sounds very grandiose, but for, for humanity, you know, that there are things that need to be done in the moment that don't yet know what their place or what their role is in the world. And I think if we repress that and say, I can't do it because it's selfish, I think we're, we're employing a kind of fascism, if you know what I mean, on, on the creative act. I, sorry, that's a quite a heavy. <laughs> no, no but I, yeah, but I think it is. It's really important, but un unfortunately, 
it has become a luxury that to have that opportunity to do that. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's why you, mm. the notion of selfishness mm. does it 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 um, it hurts. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, because mm. it is a problem. Mm. Validation and, and validation of an hour that costs so much time. Mm. Yeah. Mm. David, hi. <laughs> um, what Philida just said um, reminds me of uh, something that Rilke wrote, oh. that uh, what distinguishes the art object from other objects is mm. that art objects are patient objects. And he describes art objects as strangely secretive but he does speak eloquently about artworks waiting sometimes a very long time to find their place in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but what I mm. wanted to introduce, and I'm sorry I missed the beginning, so you may have spoken about uh, something emotional and something physical um, that for me exists very strongly in uh, the exhibition here. The um, emotional is uh, empathy, a sense of empathy, and the physical is a sense of gravity. And for me, these two combine, uh, particularly you know, the, the children seated differently, but subject giving way in some way to gravity. And of course, the stallion, the swan, and the lamb. But the, these works in, induce in me a, a, a powerful sense of empathy mm. uh, on the one hand, but also uh, <laughs> a desire to kind of give myself to gravity. You know, I want to sit and not resist gravity, or even to lie down. Um, those are the two experiences that uh, combine for me. Mm. Do, do you think the empathy is something connected with, with portraiture, the way portraiture compels you to look and look and look. I'm thinking of Titian's fantastic portrait of the 12-year-old future doge. I may have got that wrong. Do you know the, I don't know if anyone knows, but it's just how he stares out of the picture at you unrelentingly this young 12-year-old boy who's got to shoulder this massive responsibility. Yes. And that th one feels tremendous tragedy, actually, looking into these deep brown eyes, you know. And I, I, feel, I feel that with the, with the table work, you know, is, is a tragic moment about to happen and you, you're almost compelled to participate in preventing it in some way, you know. It's very, it's very dramatic moment. But yes. empathy is a, is a great word, I think, mm, for mm. the relationship with the work upstairs. Well, I, I think it, I understand what you just uh, described. I, th I think in relation to the works in the exhibition, the, the sensation is of, of empathy being unlocked, 
released in yeah, yeah. some way. And in some of the works, it, it is to do with uh, a shocking sense of mortality mm. for the creature, yes. or, or representation of the creature. But it, it unlocks something in the viewer, in the living viewer. I think this is what I'm trying to, to say. And, and then, of course, equally powerfully, there's the empathetic uh, feeling towards the individual who is insisting on carrying on against adverse conditions, whether they're in interior states or external conditions. It's mm. mm. really interesting. I'm just remembering that, David. Um, I just, I'm really struck by your different practices. Um, <clears throat> just at the end of your conversation, um, you started to talk about texture. Um, and I'm wondering also about color, because you, looking at Daphne's show, it's incredibly monochrome, whereas Felida, your work is always bursting with color. Um, and I just wondered whether you could say something about your use of color, either of you or both mm. of you. <laughs> um, color. Um, I suppose um, the, I think they look monochrome but there is color in there it's very subtle and I suppose I think of the tinfoil has its own color and the clay its own color and the plaster its own color um, but yeah I, I would it is kind of monochrome and I think it's the same going back to that word about latent latency where there's this delay from where the source of a of a of information comes from that the delay in language there's a latency and I think with the color there's a latency with the color so it doesn't ever fully reveal itself and because of that it doesn't give and it's not generous but it's there and it's more pain it's more painful because it's held back but the the fact you miss it is important i think that's what it's about can i just it it because they remind me of you know kind of if you look at them superficially they remind you of marble sculptures you know when you walk in yeah and, and of course there's that latency i absolutely yeah. agree with that but that initial hit is very different you know with yeah with Philida's work yeah i yeah well i wonder i wonder whether I wonder what, for you, the moment of application of the colour is like, because for me, there's, I mean, what I'm in a way very humbled by Daphne's work is that it has, to me, this sense of what you see is absolutely intended, whereas I know what I do is approximate. It's about approximations of things, and therefore I am in awe of people who have this sense of precision and this sense of timing, that there is no compromise, there's no blurring, whereas I work in an area where there's constant blurring and constant inability to know exactly what the conclusion is. So the colour is actually my way of saying enough is enough, and there's almost a kind of indifference to what the colours are, they're just ordinary 
household paints, and they're very much the colours that we have on the streets, colours that draw attention to messages or information. And therefore, the swiping of the surfaces with this colour saying, I, I can't go on anymore with this <laughs> uncertainty or whatever it is. It's, it's a way of so is, is actually... It, is it an end? Is it's it? an end, yes, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I know you've talked about no beginning and no end, so it's yes. very interesting. Yeah, that is, that is an end, end yes. Yeah. But it's, it's a superficial end yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think with the... The painting of, say, primate, the the, the 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 monkey, and with the painting of the children, I work with somebody who paints, and I we stand together and we fight <laughs> over the paint, and I see the paint there as, with the with the primate, it was painting the emotion of death, not death, but the emotion of it, because without the paint. Primate didn't work. Um, I had it embroidered by Janet Haig, and it still didn't work. And by painting the death in, it worked. And then with the children, it was like, the, there's a lot of paint in there, but it's very held back. And the bits that are revealed, maybe the lips, and there's certain places that just make the piece poignant. And the tablecloth, there's, it's very... Um, it is very, but there's been a lot of stuff thrown out and not used, and it's, mm. there's a lot of overpainting to get to that point. Mm. Yeah. Um, Philida, you just mentioned the topic of blurring, um, and earlier you broached the topic of pure sculpture, um, and now that sculpture has moved into an expanded field and drawing and painting, um, I wondered, and with so many crossovers and interdisciplinarities now, um, do you think categorization is le less relevant? Gosh, I'm I sorry. See yeah, I'm so sorry. I couldn't Shall get... Shall I start again? Um, can you see what... If you, could you stand up? We just can't see where you... Oh, you're there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you summarize that? Okay. Um, yeah. You were talking about blur, blurred, blurred things just now. Blurring, blurring yes. And mm. um, earlier you mentioned um, the topic of pure sculpture. So I just wondered, um, because uh, sculpture is often move, moving into an expanded field now, as with drawing and, and painting, yes. um, yeah. whether you think categorization is less relevant in art now? It, it seems to be, definitely. I feel hugely especially about 20 years ago, um, it seemed to be that if you mentioned the word sculpture, you were condemned to, you know, the fiery pit of hell. You know? <laughs> but I think I've never been able to not refer to what I do as sculpture. I don't know, that's why I asked Daphne if she knew what pure sculpture is, because I don't know what it is. And I don't really know what sculpture is i think the expanded field is fantastic and i'm that's in a way where i would like to locate my work i think the aspect of the work which is operating in the expanded field of my work is probably the scale of it which is impractical and in a commercial sense has no commercial value whatsoever and therefore, these works take on a performative <coughs> aspect as much as they do a sculptural aspect. So I think in that sense, 
the work it has, or I do, has a, have a very restless relationship with what, how one might define sculpture. I don't know whether anyone in the audience can. I don't know how we do define it. And in a way, I'm glad that we can't, you know. I think it's, but I, I do call myself, I'd say I make sculpture because I just want to locate myself in that arena, whatever that arena is. Does that sort of answer yes. your question? Yes, I mean, it's a, it's a moving arena, but um, it's just interesting that we still want to categorise it in some way. Or well, I, I don't want to, you know, at all. Um, I don't think by using the word that means that it can be categorised. Yeah, that's words, yeah. back to words. But, but yes. I, well, I, I yeah. kind of, I think it would be a big pity to lose the notion of sculpture, I have to say. Mm. And I've got, you know, I think in many ways I make installations, sculptural installations, but I think it would be a pity because there is amazing learning Absolutely. attached yes. to yes. what yes. you have to learn to understand sculptural, lang the sculptural mm. language in the old world. So I, I don't know, I really like mm. old, out-of-date words because I think they, they carry something that we ditch, and then we have to go back and relook at them. Um, I think the, the what you described in Sligo mm. is certainly what I yeah. encountered at Chelsea School of Art in 1960, where you had to learn. If you went into the sculpture area with Elizabeth Frink and Robert Clatworthy and all those people who are now <laughs> slightly unheard of in some yeah. way, you had to learn the five disciplines of sculpture. You had to learn carving, metalwork, oh, woodwork, and, and armature building, yeah. and um, casting. Stone carving. Casting was yeah. the biggest revelation, really like a miracle, where an object is there, you then put a plaster case on it, and the object disappears, and then you recover it again. And it, I think whether you call that sculpture or whether you call it filmmaking, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is yeah, very yeah, close yeah. to, or printmaking, it yeah. is an astonishing process. But, but, which, and I also think it's something that's much wider. I think it's actually quite political because if you look at um, people, trade people, you mm. know, people with apprentices, yes, and, and it is, they've been, mm. you know, mm. sidelined, it's been considered. Mm lower in the scale of um, pay earning, all of that. And there's, a, there's something deeper about all of that. I that think this is yeah. so interesting, yeah. because I think the idea that art is not connected to work and labour, yeah. you know, it's co connected it, it, to something yeah, else. Yeah, much more intellectual and clean. really and problematic. Money. Yeah. 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 I find it problematic in my own studio that the work is so laborious. And yeah. Very, very close to digging roads. Yeah, yeah. There's absolutely there's there's not much difference. No, absolutely. But, but why should the you know people who mend roads are just a nuisance? You know, they're stopping the flow of traffic. Yeah. And there's a kind of invisibility about the people who are yeah. doing that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, an artist can automatically, going back to the luxury idea, claim. A slightly different status, but yeah, exactly. It, it can a day's work and almost yeah, 
been and, exactly the same. And, and there was a, a, a really great um, German artist, Wiebke Sems, who people probably know, know, came to Bristol and she did a residency here, mm. a Henry Moore residency. Oh. And, yeah, mm. and she's amazing. And she used to go around and she was so angry because she couldn't find craftspeople to the level that she wanted to oh, make right, her work. Yes, yes. And some of that was because they, it's like, um, they've disappeared and she would go back to Germany and get these amazing yeah, things yeah. made because craft was valued and mm. making and this notion of what Absolutely, old sculpture used yes. to be which was techniques and um, so some and that that has a bigger implication mm. for what we consider white collar blue collar mm. jobs and value so I think it I think that's raises a whole other set of anecdotes yeah. actually there's an Italian critic called Pierre Luigi Tazzi who's written a whole article on the demise of craft in Britain compared with Italy Germany France you know the bit that we're about to leave unfortunately <laughs> you know <laughs> and it, I, I mean I think it's telling that we're having this conversation yeah. now yeah when you know this ridiculous severance is going to happen, you know, yeah. and he was, he was kind of, Pierluigi Tassi in his essay was saying, what, what is it about the British artist that, or the British art school system where they have <coughs> forsaken all these, uh, you know, yes. possibilities yes. Uh, yes. to uh, allow yeah. people to have a real knowledge of certain kinds of approaches to making. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, the idea, I don't know what it is, it was in Britain, but the idea of the vocational education mm. and even the name vocational, mm. where you learnt in this other way if you didn't fit into an academic. Mm. And yeah, yeah it's, mm, problematic. <laughs> I think we, we could hear you and listen to you forever, I think, and getting into some very meaty subjects there. You could have talked about women's work and the valuing of all that and all the rest of it. Anyway, we're going to call it to a halt because I know some of you will have to leave. I know uh, Daphne and Philida will be around if you want to grab them. I'm sure you, they won't mind. Um, what an absolute privilege to have uh, Philida and Daphne here this morning at Arnolfini. Um, what a pleasure that has been. And uh, can you join me in a warm round of applause to thank them? <laughs> Um, and, and thank you to uh, you, the audience, as well. We've had a packed house today, so thank you for your engagement. Uh, please take time to see the shows. And thank you to our interpreters who have worked hard this morning as well. So thank you very much.